Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy, as always, to be with you to discuss another topic that I hope is of interest to you, our multifamily investing listeners. And today we're going to talk about investing at scale. Five points, some positive, some a mix that you experience when you invest at scale in the multifamily space. Now, before I get started, as always, if you have questions, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. If you would like to schedule some time to chat, please do so. Go to marapolling.com and you can schedule there or you can shoot me an email as well. That's M-A-R-A P-O-L-I-N-G dot com. I do 15 to 20 calls a week. A good part of them are folks like you all, right? Our listeners on the weekly podcast that have a question. Uh, a lot of folks that have their own portfolios or are building portfolios. A whole bunch of other folks that have interest in learning more about how we do what we do. And if you fit in any of those categories and have any kind of question, like I said, shoot me an email, pat at Mara Polling, or swing by the website and you can register some time on my calendar. And of course, please stop by the Learning Center. Lots of good content there. Uh, we, are, we are so close to having the website, uh, I don't know what it's going to be, 3.0 or 4.0, whatever version it is, the new version of the website up and running I, I promise we're working diligently on it, and I hope we have it ready for you soon. So let's talk about this. Investing at scale. Definition. What do we mean by scale? Uh, it's kind of relative, I guess, right? If you're a residential investor, so you've got a couple of duplexes and a fourplex, scale might be a 20-unit property. If you're an institution Scale might mean a 3,000-unit portfolio, right? So there's, it's a bit of a relative term. What I mean when I say investing at scale is investing in 80 to 100-unit properties on the smaller end and as large as 300 to 400 units on the higher end. And there's some very specific reasons why that's the range that I describe as the optimum scale. Certainly for firms like Mara Poling, for syndicators, sponsors, asset managers, whatever you want to call us, that's the sweet spot, certainly given the way we invest our conservative game plan. When you invest below that, you can be in commercial, right? So you can get a 60-unit property that's a commercial property. It will perform differently in these five areas than the 100-unit or 200- or 300-unit property will. And obviously, uh, a single-family rental or 40 single-family rentals, right? So if you have a portfolio of single-family rentals, 40 of them are absolutely going to be different in a number of ways than a 100-unit, 200-, 300-unit. And likewise, for larger properties, that portfolio of several thousand, the acquisition and operation of that is different than the acquisition and operation of a two or 300 unit. And there's five specific ways I want to talk about today that it's different. 
Some of them are very positive. Scale's a good thing. And some of them are mixed. There's a positive component and there's a downside to having scale. So we'll go through and talk about each. First one we'll start with, and these are in no particular order, it just happens to be the way I jotted them down when I was putting my notes together for this week's session, is greater accuracy and control. So when we're doing a forecast of anything, in particular vacancy, that's generally where I think of it, but it could be anything we're going to forecast. So if we're forecasting the um, trouble reports, how many trouble tickets we're going to have, or if we're forecasting uh, rent movement, anything where we're making a forecast, the more units we have, i.e. the larger the sample is, the more accurate we can make our forecast. What happens is we move from an area where it's not just a probability that a thing will happen, that an event will occur, it becomes a certainty. And then we can begin to assign numerics to that that help us dial it in. So I'll give you an example. And again, going to use vacancy. It's the place where I think about this the most. And remember, vacancy has three components to it, right? There's physical vacancy, concessions, which are the little discounts you give people to incent them to sign a lease, and bad debt. So that's the physically occupied but financially vacant unit. Well, if I have 100 units, I can put a forecast together based on the history I know of that particular asset and based on what's going on in the marketplace, what, what the market is doing from a performance standpoint. I can put together a forecast in which I might say, for example, we're going to have 7% physical vacancy uh, half a percent concessions and 1% bad debt for a total vacancy, if I do the math in my head there, of 8.5%. And I'm going to be fairly accurate with that. Now, if I had 300 units, I'm going to be able to increase the accuracy of that. And the reason for that is a, a unit is a unit, right? So if I have a unit that's vacant or a unit that's not vacant, it's one unit. Now, yes, there's fractions of months and so on, but we'll just kind of walk through this. If I have one additional physically vacant unit, when I have 100 units, I just picked up one full point or 100 basis points of vacancy. If I do that when I have 400 units, I've only picked up 25 basis points, a quarter of a point. So the variance is smaller for the same raw number amount of movement. So the larger the property, I can begin to forecast more accurately. Let's go in the opposite direction. Let's talk about a 40-unit property. In a 40-unit property, how many evictions am I going to have every month? I don't know. I might look at it and say, well, I only had three all of last year, so I guess I'll forecast one every four months. Well, what if I have three right in a row, so I still have three for the year? Or what if I have six? Or what if I don't have any? And all of those are potentially very likely because we're only talking about a unit here and a unit there. If you get to a larger property, that historical data can give you a better trend so that you can forecast and say, I'm going to have 
uh, on 200 units, and again, if we're thinking 1% bad debt over the course of the year, I'm going to have 220, uh, I'm going to have two, right? And I can forecast that kind of a, uh, that kind of a number. Uh, and then that's on a, obviously that's going to be on a monthly basis. So it goes from being an event that might happen and, and then I'm actually afraid of, right? I'm afraid of a unit being empty or I'm afraid of a unit being uh, an eviction to as I get to larger and larger properties, I'm not afraid of it because I know it's going to happen. I can forecast it in and I can build it into my modeling. So when I do my underwriting, I can underwrite with that expectation. And that's one of the reasons why Mara Polling, why we work in that 100 to 300 unit space is because of this accuracy that we're able to achieve. Now, that doesn't mean if you have your own portfolio of maybe you have two fourplexes, so you've got eight units, that doesn't mean you can't put together forecasts and work to have them be accurate. Simply understand that there's going to be a higher range of variances because you're dealing with a small sample than if you're in a larger property. Because we want to try and take risk off the table and optimize the stability and security of multifamily investments, two of the traits that are the reasons we invest in multifamily as a group, right? Then having some scale helps reduce that risk. All right, so that's number one, greater accuracy and control. Number two, lower expenses on a per unit basis. If you've got more units to do something with and some of your costs were fixed, or they're marginally variable, you can save a few dollars. Now, there are expenses that aren't really variable, right? Repairs and maintenance is a great example. If we're gonna spend $300 a year on every unit fixing things that break over the course of the year, well, having twice as many units doesn't change that. We're still gonna have just as many things break. There's no scale benefit on that. But what about the staff? If we have a 300-unit property and we compare that to a 100-unit property, not only is the 300-unit property more efficient because I'm not dealing with fractional staff, right? At 100 units, I need maybe a little more than one leasing agent slash property manager inside and maybe a little more than one maintenance person outside. Well, there's no such thing as a little more. Right, you, And anybody that thinks you can hire part-time personnel well, uh, that's a huge challenge. We have done it. It's a big challenge. Uh, working with whole bodies makes a lot more sense. And as you have more scale, you can do that. When you get below 100, now you're in a position where having on-site management and on-site maintenance becomes cost prohibitive. And now you get to a place where not only is the scale not helping you save money, but you're realistically spending more per unit doing a number of things. So there's lower expenses as we get more scale. Another would be add and promotion. Add and promotion is almost a fixed expense. There's a few variables as you have a few more units. But generally speaking, we don't take out a bigger ad in apartments.com if we have 300 units than if we have 200 units. And so that, that cost gets spread across the same number of units. 
if we have lower expenses, then we're going to see a higher NOI. So larger properties are going to generate a better return, all other things equal. And again, that's up to about three or 400. And I'm going to get to why we have that, that cap there. So greater accuracy and control, lower expenses per unit. Greater leverage. And I don't mean financial leverage. I don't mean like loan to value kind of leverage. I mean like give me a lever long enough and I'll move the earth, that kind of leverage. Um, everything that happens in a large property is amplified compared to a smaller property. 300, 400 units compared to 100 units, there's an amplification factor to everything you do. Now, the good news about that is if you make minor improvements, you can see significant dollar differences. So, for example, if we're able to move rents, maybe our target's $50, and we're able to actually get $55, well, that's $5 a month, $60 a year on 400 units. And see, this is one of the places where my... My math on the fly skills don't work. That's $24,000 in incremental rent with almost no incremental expense in a six-cap market. That's an extra $400,000 in value we just created from one tiny little movement in rent because we've got this big lever, because we've got so many units. Now, this is one of the things that works the other way as well. So... Having that extra leverage amplifies, as I said, it amplifies everything. Well, it also amplifies events that are not favorable. And I'll give you an example. Talked about repairs and maintenance a moment ago. So uh, heating, ventilating, and air conditioning. Most properties, the kind of properties we're going to invest in, are going to have air conditioning for each unit. So we've got the air handler inside, and you've got the compressor stuff outside. And I'm not a mechanical guy, so I, I couldn't explain it probably much more than that. But you know what we're talking about, right? Um, and then there may or may not be a hot water heater, right? There might be a central hot water heater that feeds the building, or it could be one in each, in each unit. From time to time, there's challenges with the hot water heaters and so on. But air conditioners in Texas, there's challenges especially as they get older, right? 10 years old, 15 years old, 20 years old. And they're not inexpensive to repair and they're very expensive to replace. So with that amplification, if you said, well, gosh, we're only going to have 3% um, of our units every year that, that we're going to need to replace. Well, on 40 units, right? Let's do some math here. 40 units, 3%, that's 1.2 units. Okay, that's, that doesn't sound like a huge deal. What about on 100 units? 3% on 100 units is 3 units a year. Okay. What about on 400 units? On 400 units, it's 12. Well, 12 at three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a piece, all of a sudden I just spent 60 grand to fix a bunch of air conditioners. And if that percentage moves just a little, maybe it's not 3%, maybe it goes to 4%, the impact on that 40-unit property versus the 100 versus the three or 400-unit 
it becomes amplified in an unfavorable way. So the greater leverage is a good thing for the things we like to improve. It also means that we need to be very mindful of the unfavorable variances that may occur because they get that same leverage approached to them, attached to them, pardon me. So greater accuracy and control, that's a positive. Lower expenses per unit, that's a positive. Greater leverage cuts both ways, positive and a little unfavorable there. Less competition, number four, less competition. There's fewer dollars chasing 200, 300, 400 unit deals than there are chasing 100 unit deals. Now, we don't invest in 60 unit properties or 20 unit properties or uh, portfolios of single families, so I can't speak firsthand. I would anticipate that there's more money chasing a bunch of 20 and 30 and 40 unit properties than there are chasing 80 unit properties. But I don't know that, right? Maybe some of you know that. Shoot me an email, let me know. I'd love to share that information uh, on a future session. I absolutely know that when we go out and try to find a 100 unit property, and the way we do that is we'll identify a certain amount of capital we want to deploy for a variety of, of reasons. Our business plan says let's go put X millions of dollars in play. And knowing what units are going for in that market, we'll come up with, okay, we need 100, 120 units. Those are hard to find. They're certainly hard to find that are priced well. It's easier to find a 200, 250, or a 300 unit, or 350 unit property that fits the model, because there's fewer people chasing those. You've gone from, you know, a eight or 10 or $12 million acquisition to a 20, 25, 30 million dollar or even 40 million dollar acquisition. There's fewer people chasing those kinds of, of deals. Now, this is also one that cuts both ways. So that's the positive. The positive is there's less competition. The thing to keep your eye out for is that works up to a point. So 100 units, a little harder to fine because lots of folks are chasing them 200 a little easier 300 easier you get north of 300 and we've done as large as 400 you get into that range and you start bumping into what is point number five and that is the institutional players when you start to get big you begin to run into lots of big money insurance companies great example. Insurance companies don't have the time to stop and buy a 100-unit property because it takes just as much time and energy to buy 500 or 600 or 800 or 1,000 units as it does to buy 100 units. And they got to get that money placed, right? And that's true for any institution, not just the insurance industry. So institutional players are looking for bigger places to put their money. And when we start crossing paths with them, we don't look like an institutional player. The types of investments we're making, the kinds of return profiles that we have, and when I say we, I mean all of us, right? All of you that are listening, all of us, the expectations we have are different than what an institutional player is looking for. They're looking for a place, a safe place, to park their money to get a decent return out of it over a long period of time. They're not, a vo they're not, um, 
they don't want to not make money on their return. Pardon me there. Um, but that's not the hugest focus, right? They're not sitting there trying to make, you know, 25% um, returns. We would like to make nice returns over a longer period of time. And for that reason, when you start to compete with them, it's very difficult to meet the prices that they'll pay because they've got a different return profile and they've got a different cost structure in terms of how they manage it. So uh, you can get too big. This investing at scale model starts down in that residential space, right? A fourplex is going to give you some scale over a single family. A 20 unit gives you some scale over a fourplex or a group of fourplexes. And on and on until you get to the space we play in. 100 units, 200, 300, even 400. But you get above that, and now that scale goes away, not because there isn't the lower expenses that we talked about, not because there isn't the greater leverage, that amplification, not because there isn't an ability to do uh, more accurate forecasting. It's the competition. You don't have, not well, you, I guess you do have less competition, uh, but from a dollar standpoint, you have more competition because it's big players. Uh, you're not competing, we don't compete, against folks that look like us. We're competing against... Uh, you know, it's it's our Sandlot team playing the, uh, you know, the 27 Yankees. So that's that's the reason we draw that line around 300. As I said, we've, we've gone north of 300 in the past. Very happy with it. That's not a norm, right? Now, when you talk to other sponsors, right, so if you're someone that's thinking about making an investment, a passive investment in multifamily real estate, and you're educating yourself and you listen to our podcast and you listen to others, um, you'll hear other people talk about scale. And they may say some similar things. They also may have a different approach. And they may have some different numbers in particular, right? They might go a little lower than 100. They might draw the line at 200. They might go to 800 or 1,000. So what I'm offering you is our methodology, the way we have gone about building the portfolio uh, that we manage today and the properties that we've acquired in the past. Could it change in the future? Sure it could, right? We continually learn about what's going on in the marketplace. But the basic notion that investing at scale can provide better returns and greater stability is something that we have experienced and we don't see that changing. Maybe 100 turns into a different number or 300 turns into a different number. But that sweet spot, that Goldilocks, just like Class B is the Goldilocks asset class, the Goldilocks scale is that 100 to 300 range uh, as best as we can see it. So I would love to hear from any of you that have your own portfolios on the residential side or the smaller commercial side. And if any of these uh, items I've mentioned here either really resonated with you or if they actually contradict what your experience has been. Would love to hear that. And as I said, that's not an area we spend a lot of time and energy on, so I don't have a lot of firsthand knowledge uh, for you. If you've heard something today that you think makes sense for what you're trying to do, again, whether you're looking for a partner to work with, like Mara Poling, or whether you're beginning or already have a small portfolio and you want to flesh out some ideas for your business plan, shoot me an email, pat at marapolling.com. I'm happy to answer questions 
over email. I'm happy to get on the phone and have a chat with you. We've got some uh, exciting news coming up in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we're almost ready to make some announcements, but we're not quite there. So possibly next week. If not, it'll be the week after. So please make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any of our educational content. Uh, swing by the Learning Center. There's lots of good material there. We do have a session coming up on cap rates in, I forget, it's in a week or two. And uh, don't, you don't want to miss that. Cap rates, very interesting topic. Get a lot of feedback from folks about cap rates. And again, make sure you join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing presented by Mara Poland.